Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This lecture is brought to you by Darul Arkham, the Center for Islamic Information and Education. We pray you benefit from this lecture and that this lecture brings you closer to Allah. For more lectures, you can visit our website at www.ciie.org. Guarding the heritage of the prophets, our beloved Sheikh Jamal al-Din Zarabozo, he was born in France to Spanish Catholic parents. He grew up in California, and in 1976 he converted to Islam. His education was a bachelor's degree in economics from the University of California at Berkeley, and a master's in economics from the University of California at Davis. And he left his PhD studies to pursue Islamic studies, and since then he became active mostly in writing. His publications include, and I'll give you these names for Sheikh Jamal's publications, he has the famous commentary on the 40 hadith of An-Nawawi, that's uh, three volumes, and how to approach and understand the Qur'an. Likewise, the authority and importance of the Sunnah. There is the Friday prayer, and it's a three-part book. Likewise, there's the book, He Came to Teach You Your Religion, and the Purification of the Soul, Concepts, Process, and Means. The books that are translated by the Sheikh include Religious Extremism, The Fiqh of Marriage in the Light of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, Fiqh Made Easy, a basic textbook of fiqh, the world of jinn and devils, the path to paradise, words of remembrance and words of reminder, marital discord, and he likewise gives lectures at different places in the United States and in England, and with that, we'll have the Sheikh begin, inshallah. Our lecture uh, tonight, as you know, it's about guarding the heritage of the prophets. And in particular, when you hear that concept in itself, you are immediately brought back to a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. And actually, even that hadith, the way it is usually recorded, it is recorded with a little bit of a story behind it, in which one person went from Medina to Damascus to see the companion of the Prophet ﷺ, Abu Darda. And of course, during those times, going from Medina to Damascus is not just a simple journey, a flight, a day's flight, and so forth. So when he, find, when he found Abu Darda <coughs> in Damascus, Abu Darda asked him, What is it that brought you here? And the man answered, I came, or what brought me here was the hadith that has been conveyed to me that you heard it from the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And so then Abu Darda asked him whether or not any other need, any other kind of need is what brought him there. And he said, no. He asked him, did you come for any kind of trade or business or purpose or like that? And he told him, no. He said, I came, I only came to get this hadith. So Abu Darda told him that he heard the Prophet ﷺ say, مَنْ سَلَكَ طَرِيقًا يَبْتَغِي فِيهِ عِلْمًا سَلَكَ اللَّهُ بِهِ طَرِيقًا إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ وَإِنَّ الْمَلَائِكَةَ لَتَذْعُوا أَجْنِهَاتِهَا رِضَاءً لِطَالَبِ الْعِلْمِ وَإِنَّ الْعَالِمَ لَيَسْتَغْفِرُ لَهُ مَنْ فِي السَّمَوَاتِ وَمَنْ فِي الْأَرْضِ حَتَّى الْحِتَانُ فِي الْمَاءِ 
وفضل العالم على العبد كفضل القمر على سائر الكواكب إن العلماء ورثوا الأنبياء إن الأنبياء لم يورثوا دينارا ولا درهما إنما ورثوا العلم فمن أخذ به أخذ بحظ وافر The Prophet ﷺ, so Abu Dada told this man this hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, that whoever goes out along a path seeking by it knowledge Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send him on a, on a path towards Jannah and the angels lower their wings out of pleasure for the seeker of knowledge and the scholar is being sought forgiveness for by whatever exists in the heavens and the earth even the fish in the sea and the virtuousness of the scholar over the rest, over the servant and the worshipper who is not a scholar is like the virtuousness of the moon over the rest of the planets and the scholars are the heirs of the prophets as the prophets do not leave any dinar or dirham, any kind of money but they leave as their legacy, they leave ilm knowledge and whoever takes it takes a bounteous thing so in this one hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, we see some of the virtues of knowledge and we see the Prophet ﷺ describing the ilm itself as the legacy of the prophets this is the thing that the prophets are leaving behind and they're not leaving behind wealth that people can consume and it's finished they're leaving behind something which is much more important than that. They're leaving behind the ilm that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent them with. And this ilm is available for everyone to take and to learn. And those people who take that ilm and those people who get that knowledge and work to get that knowledge, they are in fact the heirs of the prophets the heirs of the prophets. They are the ones who are really taking what it is, the main thing that the prophets have left behind for all of mankind. It is obviously a great honor for someone to be and to think of himself that he can get this kind of honor to be the heir of the prophet Muhammad or the heir of all the prophets. That he is getting that thing that they have left behind. And so this topic of knowledge and it is obviously it is a very important topic that every Muslim should be concerned with. It would not be referred to as the heir of the prophets, the legacy of the prophets unless it was something very important. Obviously the prophets are going to leave behind something very important for all of mankind. What you find in many of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ concerning this knowledge before even the concept or the idea of guarding this knowledge and preserving this knowledge first of all we have to consider some of the aspects about how this knowledge is obtained and what we see in different hadith of the Prophet ﷺ is that this knowledge does not 
come to people without sacrifice and without effort. As in this hadith that I read, just read, the Prophet, the Prophet ﷺ describing the one man salaka tariqan fihi alma, and it's someone who is going out to follow a path with the intention of getting knowledge. So he's doing some effort. He's going out to get that knowledge. He's not sitting and waiting at home and expecting the knowledge just to come to him. He's not spending all of his time and energy on other things and if he has any time left over, some spare time, some free time, he thinks in that spare time, in that free time, he will get the knowledge of this deen, this legacy of the Prophet. No, the Prophet ﷺ is describing the one who's taking the effort and he's going out to get that knowledge. And he's putting the time and the energy into getting that knowledge. And as I said, if you look at other hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, you, you understand very clearly that the ilm, the knowledge, is something that is to be sought, something to be worked for. And inshallah, when you work for it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bless you with that knowledge, that legacy that the Prophets have left behind. For example, the Prophet ﷺ said, مَنْ يُرِيدِ اللَّهُ بِهِ خَيْرًا يُفَقِّهُ فِي الدِّينِ وَإِنَّمَا الْعَلْمُ بِالْتَعَالْمُ وَإِنَّمَا الْعَلْمُ بِالْتَعَالْمُ The Prophet ﷺ said that whoever Allah has desired good for, He gives them understanding of the deen. Now in this same, in this same hadith, in which the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala desires good for, He gives them understanding of the deen. In the same, exact same statement, the Prophet ﷺ also said that ilm or knowledge is obtained through learning. So we can understand from this that those people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala desires good for, He guides them to the way of obtaining knowledge, of learning. Even these people, the Prophet ﷺ alludes to the fact that they are getting ilm through learning through going through the stages of getting that knowledge. And the other hadith of Prophet ﷺ, the well-known hadith, طَلَبُ الْعِلْمِ فَرِيدُتُونَ عَلَى كُلِّ مُسْلِمٍ Seeking knowledge. Again, going out and getting knowledge. This is an obligation upon every Muslim. So this hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, as, as I said, if we're talking, if we're speaking about guarding the, the legacy or the heritage of the Prophets, the first key behind it is to know even how to get, and how to get that legacy. And that legacy, as I said, is clear in this hadith, is something that you go out and you sacrifice your time, you sacrifice your energy for, and inshallah you will get Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bless you with that knowledge and will bless you with an understanding of the deen. Even the companions of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu even those people who were very close to the Prophet sallallahu and they did not rest upon their laurels of even what they heard directly from the Prophet sallallahu but they continued to sacrifice and spend their time and money and energy 
to get more of the wealth of the Prophet to get more of this inheritance, to get more of this ilm, and to preserve the ilm that they had. For example, Abu Huraira, radiallahu anhu, who the Prophet had made dua for him, for him not to forget any of the hadith that he had learned from the Prophet Even Abu Huraira used to take the steps to try to preserve that knowledge. It is written about Abu Huraira that he used to divide his nights into three portions. One third for sleeping, and one third for praying, and one third for studying the hadith of the Prophet He, gave, he became the most proficient and one of the most recognized people of knowledge because of the efforts that he put into it. We find other Sahaba also, like Jabir ibn Abdullah, who traveled for one month to Egypt just to verify a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ from someone who heard it directly from the Prophet. <clears throat> we also have Abu Ayyub who did something similar. And again, those days traveling meant lots of expenses, lots of time, lots of energy being used just to check and verify one hadith from the Prophet. ﷺ. How many people today they'll come up with to someone and they'll ask him about a hadith and they'll be too lazy even to go to the books? that are just sitting a shelf away to find the hadith of the Prophet And if they can't find it, that's okay, they'll leave it. It's not worth the effort. These Sahaba, they traveled for one month just to verify a hadith of the Prophet As in the one case, he told the, the other person he met, he said, the two of you are the only two, the two of us are the only two alive who heard this hadith directly from the Prophet And I want to reconfirm the wording of the hadith of the Prophet. And not even to get new knowledge, even just to confirm and support what they have, they will do this kind of energy, spend this t- type of energy for the sake of getting knowledge. Imagine how much that must cost to travel, for example, from Medina to Damascus, from Medina to uh, Egypt. I almost said Europe. Uh, at that time, they weren't, I guess, traveling to Europe at that time uh, from uh, to check hadith from Egypt, from uh, from Egypt, from Medina to Egypt. How much time to check one hadith? What is the kind of attitude that we have towards them nowadays when we think about it and compared to these examples that we have in front of us? If you have, for example, a book or pamphlet about Islam, if you want to distribute it, you want to find it in everybody's home, there's only one way to do it. Make it free. (laughs) If it's free, everyone, oh yes, yes, I'm interested. As soon as you say even it's one dollar, two dollars, three dollars, over half the people or the majority, the vast majority of the people are no longer interested. That is the kind of attitude that we see. And I've seen it in front of myself many times. And you see at a conference, for example, there'll be a table. Someone will come by. Oh, are these books free? No, they're for sale. Okay, thanks. 
This is how much we value our ilm. This is how much we value the legacy that is left behind by the prophets. And can you imagine any kind of ilm, any kind of knowledge that could be more important than that legacy that is left behind by the prophets? And this is sometimes we have our priorities in this world, unfortunately, confused. Yes, everybody has to make a living, everybody has to support himself and so forth. But even though that's the case, we should not have the dramatic differences that we see many times between our attitude towards different kinds of knowledge that is available today. Like for example, if someone has a textbook from school or if he has a textbook from work that he's expected to learn, you'll find that he takes it very seriously. You know, he takes the book out and have like three different color markers and mark, you know, something in yellow that means caution. I guess red means stop and green means go. <laughs> I don't use that three color system, so... But he'll read it intently, maybe he'll read it two or three times. But when it comes to Islamic books, he doesn't want anything that's too heavy, not too detailed. And he's not going to give his best time to read it. You know, he's not going to, if he's going to read, for example, his textbook or his book for work, he's going to go into his office, close the door, you know, make sure the kids are outside. No one's bothering him. Yet he will not take the same kind of care and the same kind of attitude towards the book related to the deen. And in fact, many times the books that are related to the deen, those are the books that are sitting next to the bed. When the person's tired, he's just about to go to bed, he needs something to read to put him to sleep. <laughs> he takes these kind of books until he gets really tired and can't understand anything and then he puts it back. Then the next night he tries to figure out where he left off. Hmm. Yeah, I remember that word. <laughs> no. And we have to concentrate. It is shameful that we give. As I said, everyone has to make ends meet. Everyone has to support themselves. But when you look at the vast difference, the way we treat the knowledge of computers or engineering or sciences, and how we would treat our religious, office, uh, our religious knowledge. In many cases, the difference is so, so great. While the benefits of this legacy of the Prophet ﷺ, of the Prophet ﷺ, is so great that we should, not be, we should not be losing this legacy and this beneficial aspect in our life. And as the Prophet ﷺ has reminded us, or as I should say, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has shown us in the Qur'an, the ilm, the having the real knowledge and being from the real ulama, those people who have knowledge and apply that knowledge, the real ulama, these are some of the true, these are the true people who have the correct fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, إِنَّمَا يَخْشَى اللَّهَ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ الْعُلَمَاءِ that verily only those who truly who have the true fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are the ulama. Some of the early scholars when narrating 
when talking about this uh, verse, they said they get the feeling from this verse, or they get the meaning from this verse that only the ulama will enter Jannah. Only the ulama will enter Jannah. What they mean by that? Only the people who have the knowledge of the religion and, and apply that. These are the actual people who are having the real fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because innama, it means an all-inclusiveness. These are the only people who really have the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and who will be deserving of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure in the hereafter. Obviously there's many verses in the Quran, many hadith of the Prophet about the, uh, the virtues of knowledge. I just want to talk a little bit about some of the importance and some of the benefits of guarding this knowledge and keeping this legacy of the prophets. And then, inshallah, I want to make uh, a few comments on our, our current uh, situation. One of the important aspects of this, of getting ilm, of having this knowledge, this legacy of the prophets, is that by this knowledge, inshallah, the Muslim, the believer learns his faith correctly. And he truly learns his faith. And when you say about the Muslim that he truly learns his faith, what that means is he truly learns about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He truly learns about the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the purpose in this life. And what this life is about and what the hereafter is about. And if anyone has that kind of knowledge, if anyone has a real knowledge about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and not just the theoretical knowledge, but the real knowledge that perfects his heart as he increases in his knowledge. That he knows, for example, all of the bounties come only from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all of the provisions that he has can come only from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all of the, even all of the trials that he faces, they can be a blessing for him as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removes his sin and purifies him in this life so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward him with Jannah in the hereafter. As he learns all of these things, it's going to have an effect on his iman. It's going to increase his iman. It's going to increase his components of Iman. His love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to increase. His fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should increase. His hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should increase. In other words, all of the aspects of Iman, all of the aspects of Iman should increase via getting the proper knowledge of this deen. And if you can imagine in this dunya and this worldly life, there's nothing, there's not going to be anything more beneficial. And even there's not going to be anything more pleasurable for a human being in this life except for that real iman. And those people who have experienced that kind of feeling, they try to express it to the rest of us. How they describe, like even Taman described, that there's a Jannah, there's a Jannah, there's a paradise in this life. And others describe that if the, if the rulers, in other words, 
if the rich people and the powerful people knew what we had, what real bounty that we have by this iman and knowledge that they do not have, they would fight us for it. They would try to come with the swords and fight us for it. But this kind of blessing, this kind of feeling, and this kind of the sweetness of iman, it comes, inshallah, through the proper knowledge of this deen. <clears throat> the proper knowledge obviously also helps us to identify what are the correct deeds that we should perform. And it is through knowledge that we should, we should know what we're supposed to do, what is good for us to do, what will be pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala under different circumstances, what we should remain away from, and what we should absolutely abstain from. The one who has knowledge, he sees these things in front of him. And he can understand what are the best deeds that he can perform, given his situation, such that he pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the best way. And to use uh, modern day economics term, he maximizes his, not profits, but his capacity, let's say. And he knows what are the deeds that are pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala under different circumstances. And he knows and he recognizes what are the deeds that he must remain away from. And closely related to that also, as we spoke about, I think, uh, last night, especially in, in an environment like this environment, where all around us, there are things, there are aspects, and there are people and there are shayateen trying to take us away from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To deceive us, to fool us. To tell us, for example, that iman is in our hearts. And as long as we have an iman in our hearts, it's okay. What we do doesn't matter. That the real faith, for example, is not the outward aspects, it's the inward aspects. These kind of things that a shaitan comes to people and the only way you can protect yourself from being duped and fooled by a shaitan and his followers is by having that knowledge, taking this legacy of the prophets and knowing what is the truth. Then you will be able to easily recognize these doubts and these false ideas that are coming from a shaitan. And they'll have no room even to penetrate. If your mind and your heart is so filled with that correct knowledge, and these kinds of ideas even will have no room to penetrate your heart and your mind whatsoever. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will keep you completely pure from those kinds of false ways, those kinds of deceptions from a shaitan. If we look and consider the current situation of the Muslim Ummah today, and if we take, for example, our situation here in the United States, there is no question that we as a Muslim Ummah, we as a people, we cannot know what is correct, we cannot know what is the right path to follow unless we have ulama among us. 
The Prophet ﷺ has described to us that Allah Taala does not take the ilm away from the people and by, by snatching it from their hearts but instead Allah allows the ulama to die. And then they are replaced with people without knowledge. They are misguided and they misguide others. Especially in the last few years we've seen many of our ulama passing away. This should make us think about this fact that we as Muslim Ummah we need ulama whether we're talking about ourselves as a community here in the United States or as a Muslim Ummah as a whole we need ulama to be our guides to take this knowledge this legacy of the prophets they are the heirs of the prophets and to give it to us and to show us what is the way that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to teach us in our deen. And especially in our situation here, where we're facing, we're facing, with, facing many different kinds of ibtila, trials, and fitnas. The only way to get a rescue, the only way to get out of those in a clear way, where you feel, alhamdulillah, that you are really doing the correct thing, that is pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to base your actions on, on, on the knowledge, the ilm that comes from the Quran wa Sunnah. So this ilm, this knowledge and these ulama is something that we greatly require. But where are these people amongst the uh, Muslim communities? If you travel to many communities in the, in the United States and I know that this area of Virginia here and this area is an exception because Mamdouh, brother Mamdouh once told me that uh, there's more sheikhs per square mile in Virginia than any other part of the United States <laughs> so I know that this, is a, this area is a, an exception but if you go to many parts of the United States you can find a masjid where in Salat al-Jum'ah maybe there's 3,000, 4,000 people. Yet among those three or 4,000 people, the number of people who are actually qualified to give the khutbah or to give lessons and, and lectures on Islam, maybe you'll find one, two or three or four. I've seen this myself in many mosques. Three thousand, four thousand people praying Juma, but actually the number of people who can even give khutbah in that mosque is maybe three or four. You might have one thousand who are willing to give khutbah, <laughs> but that's a different story. <clears throat> but really qualified, just a handful. And so all of the efforts of the mosque have to fall upon these people. Because they're the only ones who are really qualified to give the ilm. This is obviously, this is a very sad situation. And the ramifications of it are very great. First of all, if you only have those few number of people, then what this is also going to imply, or what this is also going to mean, 
is that you're not going to have a good number of good examples among the people who really have the knowledge and are applying that knowledge in their lives. An example and people who are examples is very important for the community as a whole. People who are out there setting the standards for others and showing people how they should behave and sacrificing and making other people feel that they should be behaving in the same way. And this is one of the benefits of having the real ulama, the real scholars. Because they can, they can set or they do set the example for others. And again, especially in this kind of society, people are looking for any excuse. People are looking for any excuse to say, oh, you know, I would like to come to the mosque more often, but really I can't. I would like to, you know, dress Islamically and have a beer and so forth, but I really I don't feel that in this society it's good, there's going to be too much pressure, or the sisters finding excuse not to wear hijab. But if there were people, if there were more people in each community who had the proper knowledge and knew how to implement Islam and set that example, they can set the example for other people and they'll see them and say, look, I have no excuse, this person and these people are doing it, I can also do it. But also, one of the ramifications of this lack of qualified people is poor participation in the mosque. You know, sometimes in some mosques, people wonder about why is there such poor participation? You know, for example, they have a Friday night meeting in the mosque to give a class or something, and only like a handful of people show up. Nobody seems interested. And actually, one of the reasons behind that is that the, the effect of a speaker who has knowledge and can really express the Qur'an and Sunnah to the people is going to be much different from the effect of someone who really doesn't have knowledge and all he can do maybe is go to a book and copy some notes and try to give those notes to the people around. The people feel it. They, they, they feel it when they go to those kind of meetings. They know the difference between a meeting in which the person himself has the knowledge and is really conveying it and is giving it with, with his heart and emotion and those meetings in which they know the person who is giving it doesn't really have any knowledge, you really don't know if what he's saying is correct, is not correct. So even in many mosques, the, the lack of participation, why people are not interested in the durus and in learning more about Islam is because we don't have those people of knowledge who can convey it in such a way that the people will realize that this is real ilm and they should be interested in getting it. And this situation <clears throat> this situation, to be frank, if we look, again, concentrating on, on our situation here, this situation looks like it's going to be getting worse before it gets better. Because look at the masses of the Muslim parents and how they are steering their children and what do they consider to be the most important thing 
for their children? What kind of knowledge do they want their children to get? And what are the priorities that they are setting for their children? The first consideration for most parents is that they want to make sure that their child is going to get the kind of knowledge that will benefit him in this dunya. He's going to be able to buy a nice car, have nice clothing, have a nice house and so forth. This is unfortunately, this is the first priority that most parents have with respect to their children. And maybe they're doing it out of good intention. They feel like it's their obligation to make sure that their children will be on their feet when they get older. So they try to make sure that they get this kind of knowledge. But they have to realize, of course, and they have to remember that rizq or provisions and wealth only come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can try to guarantee the best education for your child and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may make it all fail. He may get a PhD and he may be unemployed for the next three or four years. So first of all, we have to realize that the risk and this, these bounties and this wealth doesn't come by the PhD or by the bachelor's degree, but it comes only from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But this aspect that we see, as I said, we see it very often among the children and where their parents are trying to encourage them and do their best to make sure that they are getting the knowledge of this dunya so that they can have wealth and support themselves in the future. And Islamic knowledge is secondary or even tertiary or something of that nature. And as I said, this is something that exists throughout most of the communities. Most of the parents, they are not trying to push their children 